0: This is the American Association of Orthodontists, the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode eight. Welcome. I'm Pam Paladin, here with a quick update on the US Supreme Court ruling of King versus Burwell. On Thursday, June 25th, the Supreme Court issued its ruling which challenged language in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act regarding subsidies for the purchase of health insurance. Our guest is Kevin Dillard, the AAO's general counsel, who is here to explain the ruling and its implications. Kevin, welcome.
1: Thank you, Pam. It's been a big week.
0: It sure has. Now, uh, what exactly was the decision?
1: Well, the decision was multifaceted, but really what it comes down to is that the biggest, probably the most legitimate challenge since the 2012 decision, which upheld the individual mandates, King versus Burwell, the, the Supreme Court decided with the Obama the Obama administration saying that uh, the subsidies apply both in the states and for health care purchases over the federal exchange.
0: So there, there are two different ways people can buy health insurance through... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Affordable Care Act. One is through their state if a state exchange is set up. Second, they can purchase through uh, something through the federal government. Does this change anything now?
1: It doesn't change anything the way it's been operating the last several years. Uh, The the argument was over basically one word. The the plaintiff said that the plain language of the law says that health care subsidies, the tax cut subsidies for lower income individuals purchasing the health insurance only applied to those purchased through exchanges set up by the state. And that's what the statute said. The Obama administration through the IRS rewrote some of the regulations and and, and interpreted it through the IRS, that that would also include the 37 states that had joined the exchange. And those 37 states for a variety of reasons, had decided that it was not right for them to set up their own exchange. Many of them were Republican governors. Many of them uh, were also democratic governors that that uh, state legislatures didn't think that their own states could afford the subsidies. so in the the structure underlying the mandates in Obamacare. So they deferred to the federal government, the federal government set up the exchange, which covered again 37 states. And there we find ourselves back at the Supreme Court where the plaintiffs are saying uh, the subsidies only apply for purchases through the state exchanges.
0: Well, this is very odd that if a law was written with language and now the language is being ignored.
1: Well, reinterpreted, uh, the the majority opinion was was written by Chief Justice Roberts. And he kind of took a, a backwards way of getting to it. And this is the second time he's decided with the Obama administration on interpretation of the law and he basically said that it's clear that Congress intended to cover everybody under the exchange and therefore we're going to redefine what he meant by the state as what Congress meant by the state to say well not only the state but the federal government even though the plain language of the statute says purchase through the state. Now you might be thinking what difference does it make? The, The plaintiffs and Republicans and those on that side of the argument said, well, it makes a big difference because the legislative intent was to incentivize states to set up their own exchange, knowing full well that if they did not set up their an exchange in their state, that their citizens would not be eligible for the subsidies. Why would the federal government have wanted the states to set those up? Well, the federal government doesn't, uh, didn't want to, and still doesn't really want to be in the healthcare marketplace. We can see what happened last year with healthcare.gov and the Uh, multiple problems they had rolling that out and the technical problems. They just didn't want to be in that business. They still don't. And that's why the plaintiff said they were incentivizing states to create those exchanges.
0: Are there implications uh, by the Supreme Court ruling now for for AAO members and their practices?
1: Well, again, everything stays the same. I think the biggest uh, implication is political. And that's that if the decision had gone the other way, there would have been a legislative push late the summer and into the fall to correct the language to perhaps probably compromise with the Obama administration and allow the subsidies to go forward for everybody, but in exchange for a few Republican priorities. Of those, the, the top probably would have been repeal of the medical device tax, which we recently spoke about, and also probably something akin to the raise bill, which would increase the cap on FSAs. So in the short term, it probably reduces the overall chance that we'll see immediate or, or, or in the near future action on those two AO priorities. Uh, but other than that, everything stays the same. It doesn't affect the essential health benefits package in Obamacare. It doesn't affect the fact that different states are interpreting medically necessary orthodontics, which is required for insurance plans on the exchange. It doesn't affect uh, how those states are interpreting that. So everything at this point goes forward as it has been.
0: What are the uh, likelihood, uh, or what is the likelihood of future challenges to the Affordable Care Act, in your opinion, Kevin?
1: Well, there's a, there's still a House Republican challenge that is pending. But, I, you know, again, I, I think this was probably, from a legal perspective, I think this and the individual mandate case back in 2012 were the two that had the best chance of succeeding if you're a Republican. I think Probably moving forward, one might one might legitimately ask, well, if the IRS interpreted that one word instance of, of, of by the states, could not a future president, perhaps a Jeb Bush or a Marco Rubio in in 2017 when they're sworn in, could they not direct their IRS to reinterpret that and say no, it's now we're interpreting it only as the state as a result of this decision, they cannot do that now because Justice Roberts basically sidestepped that whole issue and said that it wasn't just an IRS thing. It wasn't just an IRS interpretation. It was actually Congress's intent to uh, apply this to equally to all um, citizens, regardless of what state that they're in. So that argument now is, or that potential strategy is, is taken off, um, taken off the the strategy board forever. So now it goes back to legislative repeal and, you know, Time will only tell if health insurance costs continue to go up as they're expected to go up this year, right. and if a Republican is is elected in 2016 with a Republican Congress, will there be the political will to to change substantially the law to more benefit or more to the uh, vision of Republicans?
0: Kevin, what can AAO members do to make their voices heard on this issue by their representatives in Congress?
1: I think a lot of Republican strategists, a lot of uh, healthcare strategists right now would would say, and I agree with it, to say, uh, it's time that you have to play what might be called small ball. Call your members of Congress and talk to them about the importance of repealing the medical device tax, talk to them about the importance of raising the cap on FSAs and passing the raise bill, and put pressure on the Obama administration to, to uh, affect those changes, because those two things, are really hurting not only orthodontists, but a lot of small business health care providers nationwide. And those two things are probably the two provisions that have the most bipartisan support for repeal or revision. So now is the time, we're, we're not in an election year yet, it is time to call, email, send a tweet, Facebook message, whatever the case may be to your member of Congress and tell them in your own way, in your own words, use your own story about how those costs from the medical device tax and, and, and reduction in the Federal flexible spending account have affected your business and your ability to hire qualified and highly paid orthodontic assistants,
0: and uh, to be able to del- to deliver care to people who want the care.
1: Absolutely, and and to be able to deliver high quality orthodontic care to as many people as possible.
0: Do phone calls and and tweets and and messages on Facebook really matter?
1: I think they do. And the time for writing a letter is probably in the past now with the anthrax screenings and everything, you write a letter to your member of Congress or send it via UPS, it takes about a month to filter through the, the congressional mail system. It is far easier to tag them in a Facebook post or tweet them directly. And they, they see that, that's, that's, it's an immediate thing. Other people see it. They know that your friends are seeing it on Facebook. They know that people who follow you on Twitter are seeing it. And if enough people reach them that way, it is a very quick and easy method and very modern method for members of Congress to be able to weigh the public opinion in their district.
0: Great. Kevin Dillard, A.O.'s general counsel, thank you for explaining the implications of the recent Supreme Court ruling on King versus Burwell. Always appreciate your advice and and your interpretations. Happy to be here. And that's a wrap for this brief episode eight of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pam Paladin. Join us next time on the Business of Orthodontics podcast.